Today we're going to talk about uh, being following leaders. It's kind of a little play on words. You'll see what I mean as we get going. But we're going to talk about leaders, and it made me think, uh, there's been some, you know, lots of leaders in my life, some good, some not so good, all right? Uh, But here's what I'd like to do as we get going, whether you're at home or here in our room, if you're near someone that you could talk to, or if you're just sitting by yourself, or if you just don't like talking to people, whatever, uh, let's think about the leaders that have made the greatest impact on us, the, the, the ones that we have respected the most. If you want to share with someone next to you, you can say who that person is, if it's someone who is in your life or someone you read about or something like that. Who is your most respected leader? Go! So quiet. So quiet in here. Hope you're doing this at home. Okay, did everybody share at least one? Or is there someone, do you have at least one have in your head? Is there a picture of somebody in your head that was a leader, a good leader in your life? Okay, if you're willing to do this, uh, do this. Tell the person next to you why you said that person if you told them someone uh, that was your favorite leader. Go ahead. Why, why were they your favorite leader, your most respected leader? Share those qualities that made them such. All right. I can't tell if you're still talking, so I'm going to start. Here we go. Uh, did, did anybody mention somebody from their actual lives? Okay, probably most of you did. Maybe some of you read about someone from history or, you know, the, uh, you esteem a certain leader from, uh, from, from that realm. But, like, for me, it would be uh, uh, a lot of the, the leaders that I had as an athlete, coaches that uh, were instrumental in teaching me what it is to, uh, to persevere and to, and to push through adversity. Um, uh, coaches that rallied us, you know, in times of, of, uh, of stress and, and losing and, and, and made a difference in our outcomes. Um, uh, those, those qualities, that kind of uh, uh, can-do attitude, that kind of positivity, that, you know, uh, call it like it is, uh, say what needs to be said type stuff is, is what I esteem in leaders. And, and maybe you have things like that, other things. Uh, today we're going to talk about leaders as God sees them as the church needs them to be. Uh, We're going to talk about it because that's where Peter goes next in chapter 5, if you're with me in your Bibles. We've just come out of a a, a portion of Peter's writings as he's uh, writing to these churches in Asia Minor. If you've been with us through the summer, you know that's what 1 Peter's all about. He's he's talking to these um, uh, outpost gatherings of Christ followers. They're they're in the the far reaches of modern-day Turkey. Uh, They're certainly... Uh, made up of people who have come out of former religions, and uh, they are not by just by the Roman Empire, which is uh, growing in their antipathy against the Christian Church, but from their own family and friends. They're getting it from all sides, and so First Peter is this uh, letter from this apostle Peter himself to these churches, saying, "Hey, man, hang in there, keep going in the Christ life." Uh, it's, it's worth it if, if you'll just persevere. He, he gets done in chapter 4, the passage that we just studied last week, uh, teaching us why it's worth it. First of all, he tells us, hey, don't be surprised when fiery trials come into your life. Don't be surprised. It's, it's like our default setting as Christians. It's going to be hard. Remember, we, Jesus said this to his followers. They hated me. They're going to hate you. In this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble. Occasionally, there could be trouble. You will emphatically have trouble, but take heart. What's he say? I've overcome the world, but it's coming. Don't be surprised when the fire comes, when the fiery trials land. Uh, in fact, he says, listen, th- those are parts of God's will for your life. God sends these, these fiery trials, these 
these fires into our lives as uh, refiners and as consumers of the things that aren't meant to be there. Don't be surprised. Instead, rejoice. We talked about that last week. That doesn't mean necessarily that you like enjoy it. Uh, Sometimes suffering is just that. It's suffering. It's hard. But in the midst of our suffering, we who follow Jesus can know that he's at work behind the scenes, bringing about the greatest glory for our God and the greatest good for us as we follow him. It's not a surprise. He's not wondering how this is going to turn out. He just wants us to be faithful. In fact, that's what he, we studied last week as we finished that section. In verse 19 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, his plan, right? Let those who suffer entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. A couple things there. Entrust your soul. It's this phrase where, where Peter says, hey, man, entrust your soul. It's the Greek word suke, from whence we get psyche. But it also uh, means soul or life. He says, basically, trust all of y'all, every bit of you, entrust all of yourself to a faithful creator. He's faithful, never failed. God is the only one who is batting a thousand. He has never once. Isn't that amazing? Pause and think about that for a second. Because some of you are like, no, this, that broke and this broke. And that. No, no. God knew those things would break. And even in the things that break in a sin-filled world, God has been faithful. He is, he is, he is perfect in every way. He's faithful, and so he can be trusted and trust your soul to him. He's faithful, and he's the creator. Peter, here in this, this is the only place in the New Testament where, where God is referred to in this way, by the name creator. It's the only time. In the Old Testament, he gets lots of run with that. But in the New Testament, it's the one time. Peter uses it. Why? Because he wants us who are suffering to know that the God that we serve designed what we're walking through. He's the creator of all things, even the situations that are hard for us. And because he's the creator, he's the boss. He's the sovereign. He's faithful. He'll see us through. He may not rescue us from, but he will see us through. What do we do while we're walking through our suffering? We do good. We entrust our souls to the faithful creator while doing good. We don't, we don't let up. We don't pause. It's been one of the harder things with this COVID season, right? What does church look like in this era? Well, there's a few of us hanging out. We all got exit row uh, seating, though. Isn't this great, though? You can stretch out. It's nice. Get you some foot, footstools, you know. But there's a few of us hanging out. There's, there's those of us hanging out at home. How do we continue to be the church? However God allows us to, however God enables us to, we continue to do good no matter what happens in the headlines, no matter what happens in our culture. God is able, he is with us, he is sovereign, he's worthy of every breath that we take, and we honor him as we walk through whatever we walk through. All right, that was last week. Somebody like, I thought we were talking about leaders. We are, hang on, we're getting there. In the context of suffering, it's no wonder then that Peter uh, moves to addressing the leaders of these churches. Look what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. The elders there is the Greek word presbuteri. Everybody say presbuteri. It's a good one. I mean, at Presbyterian churches, anybody grow up Presbyterian? You, you, that, that's your Greek word, presbuteri. It means elder. In, in, in just kind of the street level language of the day, uh, it just meant older man. But it became uh, the title of the leaders of the early church and the church today. 
We're, we're an elder-led church. There's 11 of us who gather on a monthly basis and in between as needed to pray and discuss and, and uh, discern and, and sense from God the directions that he has us going as a church. We have a staff of, of pastors who don't serve on the elder board, but they function in, in elder-type roles as they lead ministry around here. Uh, the church has, since its inception, been led by leaders uh, who go by the name Presbyteroi. He says, hey, so in the midst of suffering, it really matters that we lead well, elders, is what he's going to go on to say. You've got to do this well. Because leading is, is crucial all the time, but leadership, good leadership, is especially important when things go amok. Let's read that whole verse. He says, um, I exhort you, elders, uh, or the elders among you as a, as a fellow elder and as a witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then he's going to give the exhortation in verse 2 and we're going to get to that in a second. But he's, he's basically coming at him from three different angles. Did everybody see those? I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Pete's like, same boat, man, me and you. We're, we wear the same uh, hat in this, in this regard. I'm an elder in the church. I'm a leader just like you. Uh, so I, I have a little something to say about this. In fact, um, I was there at the beginning of the church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. I, I was an early elder, not just an apostle, not just a disciple, but I'm an elder. So I know from whence you're living. I know, I know what you're, you're going through. I've been there myself. He says this, uh, as, a, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ... That seems like an odd thing to throw in here as he's about to exhort these elders. Why would it matter that he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ? Well, you've got to understand, he's speaking in the context of suffering to these elders in these Asian minor churches. And he's so, he says, so he says, listen, man, I know it's hard to lead in the midst of suffering. Can I tell you that I've seen the greatest leader who ever hit the planet lead in the midst of his suffering? And it's made all the difference for me as I speak to you about this subject. I've witnessed the sufferings of Jesus himself, the greatest liver, liver, leader ever. That's how you get liver, leader ever. The greatest leader ever to walk this earth. I saw him as he uh, expertly and perfectly uh, defended himself uh, to the Pharisees who came again and again and again to seek to trap him. Uh, in their words. I, I saw him as he, um, sometimes gently and sometimes not so gently, corrected those who were following him and guided them. We're going to talk about that more today. Remember what he said to Peter, the same guy who was writing this. You know what Jesus called him one day? Satan. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Hashtags. Hashtags? Hashtags. Quotes. Hashtags. Hashtag. Peter. All right, doesn't matter. I get so giddy when I'm talking in front of people. I don't know what to do with myself. All right. I'm so excited to have humans in the world. He, he, he saw Jesus uh, gently correct, uh, and even as his, his disciples were making him crazy, he, he saw him lead well in those instances. Uh, he, he saw Jesus, most of all, listen, he saw Jesus persevere at the end of his life. He saw him walk willingly to the cross and to honor his God 
in the midst of that suffering. He's like, listen, I hung out with the best leader that's ever lived and I saw him lead in suffering. I got something to share with you. And then he finally says this, and I'm, I'm, I'm also a part, our partaker of, of the glory that is coming with you. I have that same aim. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the end of time is near and, and Jesus is gonna return. And so everything we do matters when he returns. We wanna be able to be commended and honored by him. We want him to be able to look at our lives and say, you made a difference for me and with me. And, and he says, man, I can't wait as a leader to have Jesus honor me in his return. See, Peter understands that everything rises and falls with leaders. He understands that Leadership matters. It's hard when, when, when the going gets tough, but he saw Jesus do it well. He wants these elders to do it well. He wants them to be the alpha dog on the sled team. I did a rod. Are you with me? The dog race up there in Alaska. Hey, hey elders, hey, leaders, go to the front. Have everybody else strapped to you and, and run with everything you got. This race that marks, that's marked out for you. Be Rudolph with your shiny red nose. And let everybody else um, draft off of you and, and follow you as you lead well. The rate of the leader, I was taught early on, the rate of the leader determines the pace of the pack. Nothing ever goes past the levels of its leadership. Yeah, by the grace of God, he has something to say to these leaders. And, and in his instruction, we're going to get to answer this question for ourselves. What, what should we as Christ followers expect from those who lead us? Well, if you're a leader in the church, we who follow you should expect you to lead like Jesus. I know that's kind of a punt, but it's true. In every aspect of the Christ life, we want to look like Christ. And as certainly as leaders, we want to emulate him and all that he did as we lead those that he puts in our care. Now, real quick, so this isn't just a, a sermon to the 11 elders here at our church. Can I kind of broaden the scope a little bit? You know, a lot of times as, as our Bible addresses specific areas of, or specific groups of people, uh, we can kind of sometimes say, well, you know, that's for men, that I'll just shut off, or that's for women, or I'll just shut off, or that's for older people, or that's for younger people, or, or here, that's for elders, I don't need to listen today, I'm not one. That's not true. I've preached this message before. Everybody in here is somebody's elder. Everybody in here has influence over someone. We're all leading somehow, somewhere. Anybody here a parent? Yeah, that's your church. Uh, that's your area of leading. E even as they grow older, you, you never lose that, that office of influence. You're, you're always a leader if you're a parent. Uh, anybody here serving in any of our ministries? Life group leaders, small group leaders with kids or students. Anybody here serving in some of our service teams and, 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 and shepherding a group uh, or, or pointing the direction for those groups? Everybody in here has got something that they lead. You go to work, maybe you, you lead a team there. There's leadership happening all over the place. And so without losing these specific directives to our elders, let's all listen, knowing that God has something to teach us all. If we're leading in the church, we need to lead like Jesus. What, what, so what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, verse two helps us. To, to lead like Jesus, we need to be an overseeing shepherd. Overseeing shepherd. Now look what it says there. He says, I exhort you, uh, the elders among you, to shepherd the flock that is among you, exercising oversight. It's basically a, a Greek sentence with two verbs 
and uh, uh, those or the flock of God uh, that is among you. It's, it's basically shepherd and, and overseer or, or exercise oversight over those that God's entrusted to you. I think this is interesting. Uh, Peter's very careful to say it's not your flock, elder. He didn't say shepherd your flock. He shep- shepherd whose flock? This isn't my church. Uh, spoiler alert, this isn't your church. This is God's church. We call it Baylife, but this is God's body. This is, this, we're just hanging out. I, I get to serve him in the role that I have as your pastor, but you're not my people. I love you as if you're mine, but you're not mine, you're God's. So shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Let's talk about shepherd. It's the Greek word poimano, poimano. It's hard to say, uh, but it basically means shepherd. Does anybody notice in the Bible that there's a lot of run on shepherds? Talks a lot about shepherds. Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 10 tells everybody who's listening to him that day, I am the what? Good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. There's some bad ones out there. I'm the good one. Jesus uh, called himself a shepherd and spoke often in terms of those who follow him as being his flock. Now, when we think about shepherds, we can think about lots of things. I don't have time to preach them all. Can I just preach you one? I want you to understand this about shepherds. A lot of times when we think leadership, we think out front. Someone who's out there, I'm drafting off of them. And there's certainly components to being a leader where that's true. But when you're thinking about being a shepherd, shepherds weren't out front. In fact, if you were out front, you were a lousy shepherd. Because you'd be out there just kind of walking along, trusting that your sheep would be following you. Hey, newsflash, shepherd, sheep are dumb. They're not going to follow you out there. So where do you stand? You stand behind the flock and you herd. That's what it is. A shepherd, it's not a complex word. Sheep herd. You herd the sheep. You stand behind and move. I got a, I got a little dog, Toby, who wakes up every morning and expects me to walk him. More often than not, I do. He's got power. I put on his little pink uh, walking vest. We, we got him a green one. But Amazon sent us the pink one. Eleanor's really disappointed. I put it on him anyway. I call him the pink prancer, like pink panther. Anyway, <laughs> and off we go. We leave my house. The first 100, 150 yards is, is Toby free time. He can go. And, and when I take my dog for a walk, I call it, I'm going to go empty the dog. He just goes and does what he needs to do in the, in the fields you know, that, that border the, the, the fence that leads to the road. But once we get to that fence, once we get to the gate that, that goes out onto the road, he knows. He actually stops now. Sits down and he waits for me to put the leash on him. We take our walk, we come back. We get back to that same gate. And what does he do? Sits down again. Why? Because he knows. At the gate, the leash comes on and off. Now, some mornings when I take my little pooch for a walk, I'm in a hurry. This might surprise you, but I'm not always, I know this never happens when I preach, but I'm not always the greatest uh, manager of time. Have you, have, has anybody noticed that? And so sometimes I'll be out there and I won't be thinking and I'll just, oh, I got, a, I got a meeting I got to get to. And so sometimes I get to the gate and we're not playing around anymore. There's no frolic in that yard and, and smell that bush. I'm going to position myself right behind this dog and I'm herding that thing the whole way home. And sometimes it's like, over here, bud. Over here, but Never kicky, kicky. Not kicky, kicky. Just kind of nudgy, nudgy, right? But I just stay behind the dog. And he'll stop and sniff over here and I'll be like, no, we're going. And, and and I'll just, I'm a, I'm a Toby herder at that point, but that's what it is to be a shepherd. Is everybody picking up what Mark's picking? Now, oh, here's the deal. What does that look like when we lead? 
Well, it looks like us standing behind those that God has uh, granted us uh, um, leadership over and saying, okay, listen, we're all headed to Jesus. It says in Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Everybody's pointed towards Jesus. He's out in front. Some leaders, we're going to see in a little bit, like to stand between their flock and Jesus. They like to get some of the shine that he's supposed to get. That's a no-no. Everybody with me? So leaders are not in between the flock and Jesus. They are standing behind the flock, pushing them towards Jesus in whatever way that they need to do so. Sometimes it requires us to be overseers. This is the Greek word episkopos or episkopao. Everybody say episkopos. Anybody ever heard of the Episcopal Church? Uh, the Episcopal Church is a church that is led by bishops, which is how episkopos is often translated in the later years of the church ex- existence. But in the, in the Bible, it means overseer. And, and don't get it confused. Elders and overseers, same role, not different roles. But an elder is a shepherd and an overseer. A shepherd is kind of the, the offensive side of the, of, the, of the leadership game. We're, we're trying to score. We're trying to move people towards Christ. Uh, uh, the overseer role is the defensive side. We're trying to keep people from walking off the path. We're trying to keep order and, and, and defend doctrines. That's one of the roles that we have as leaders is to not just kind of let everything be, eh, but to keep things heading in the direction they're meant to go. That's an actual theological term. That's a, it's in there. It's Greek for something. My, uh, my job as your pastor is to at different times uh, encourage and spur and guide and at other times to correct and rebuke. It's not unlike the shepherd that David wrote about in Psalm 23. You've heard that shepherd I, or about that shepherd, I bet. He, David, as a shepherd, writes about God in terms of being his shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I'm good, God's got me, right? He leads me beside, or he leads me into uh, green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He's gonna feed me and make sure I got, uh, you know, water to drink. He's gonna uh, give me a place to rest. He's a good shepherd, he's a guide. He restores my soul. He's got me. He, He leads me, there's more shepherding, in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I suffer, even though life gets hard, my shepherd goes with me. I fear no evil because he's with me. His rod and his staff are a comfort to me. I love uh, taking what David wrote about there and making sure people understand the rod and staff. Shepherds grabbed two sticks before they went out to watch their sheep. Uh, the one is the one that's like a long, you know, broomstick with a, with a crook on the end. In fact, that's kind of like the identifying mark of every shepherd. If someone was getting dressed up for the Christmas pageant, the Christmas play, and they were just kind of wearing their, their basic garb, but then you handed them that stick, oh, I know where you're going to stand. You're not with the kings. You're over there with the other guys. You're a shepherd. You got the stick, right? So a lot of people associate shepherding with that, that stick with a crook on it, the staff. But, but here's the deal. Shepherds always ca- also carry this club. It's like baseball bat, right? And, and the, the rod was this um, inflictor. Anybody remember the, the, the verse in the Bible that says, spare the rod, spoil the who? We don't talk about that anymore. But anyway, uh, uh, this rod was meant to, to correct. It was meant to defend. It was, it was a symbol of God's strength, our shepherd, 
uh, in his strength. He had the, the rod would be used like uh, David. He had that sling, and that was cool. But the, most of the time when David would defend his flocks, like when he killed the lion and the bear uh, and, and all the other things that he would you know, talk about in his early days, he'd use the rod. It would be hand-to-hand combat. He'd just kick the hoo-ha out of whoever's trying to you know, catch his sheep. That's, that's, and that's what God does for us. Is anybody grateful that God defends his sheep? But don't get it twisted. God also uses the rod on us every once in a while. Remember I talked about the consuming fire last week? Every once in a while, the two by four across the head is necessary for the follower of Jesus Christ. Anybody ever been administered the two by four? I have received it on too many occasions. That's the overseeing side of our God. The shepherd side is more the staff. The shepherd side is like, okay, I'm just going to kind of gently tap you, keep you headed home keep you going in the direction you're supposed to go. In fact, if you, as a, as a, as a dumb sheep, because sheep are some of the dumbest animals, I don't have time to tell that story, but they're really dumb. If they smell sh- uh, grass, something that they can eat over the side of a cliff, they'll walk over the side of a cliff, often catching themselves, you know, in, in, the, in the crags of the rocks or in the branches as they go down. That's why the, the crook was necessary. It wasn't so much to you know, tap or, or leash some sheep. It was to yank them out of the mess that they had found themselves in or they got themselves in. So the crook would be, you know, reached down to the neck of the sheep and you'd wrap it around the sheep's neck and you'd drag it back to safety. That's, has anybody, anybody ever had that from our God? Where your shepherd saw you in your mess that you made and said, hey, I love you. My mercy and my grace are for you. Let me pull you out of there, yeah. Now, that, that, that's what it is to lead like Jesus leads. Jesus is the good shepherd. He, 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 he pushes us. Uh, certainly is, is our focus, and, and we should fix our, fix our eyes on him, but he, he wants to push us, and he wants to use his under-shepherds, elders, small, small group leaders, to push all of us in his direction, to keep us from going astray. He's our overseeing shepherd. That's what it is to lead like Jesus. How should we lead? Well, that's what the next verse talks about. Uh, We should lead with a willing, eager humility. I crammed that all together for you. But let's just walk through it phrase by phrase. He says, you you should shepherd and exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but but willingly. Not as a got to, but as a get to. And this makes sense. Uh, I think our overall effectiveness and, and fervor goes down the longer we have to do something that we aren't enjoying. Is everybody with me on that? Anybody in that job right now? Yeah, it, uh, it pays the bills, but if you could find something else, that'd be great because it'd be, it, it'd be awesome. It's best, can we all agree? It's best to wake up and want to go do something uh, that you're doing with your life. It's the same thing with leadership. We should seek as leaders wherever we can to do it from a, from a heart that is eager and willing, not from a heart that has to. Uh, when I'm at your, when I'm at my best as your pastor, uh, I'm doing it uh, as someone who's amazed by the grace of God. I'm, I'm sorry to say that I'm not always. Neither are you sometimes. But we can get our our um, priorities twisted. We can get disgruntled with God's provision, and we can wake up some mornings and be like, "This stinks, all of it." And I'm not a good pastor to you on those days because I'm doing it from a got to as opposed to a get to. One of the days, for whatever reason, today, it's a get to day. I'm really psyched to be up here. I don't know if you're having fun. I am. Because I get to talk about this God who is amazing, whose grace is sufficient, 
a God who loves us and a God whose love through me allows me to love you and hopefully you to love me back. When we function together as his body, loving him, loving each other, doing the church, the the Christ life together because we get to, not because we've got to, man, it's a different kind of church than some of the ones that I've been a part of in the past. We should do it not for shameful gain. It tells us in the second part of verse two, but, but, but eagerly, willingly and eagerly are kind of synonymous there, but, but in con- con- contrast to that, or in con- contrast, oh, that's how you say contrast. In contrast to that, we shouldn't do it because we have to or because it's going to benefit us. Uh, I'm so grateful to live in an era where pastors especially have never led churches for what they could get out of them. They've never gotten up and preached the sermon about how you need to give so that I can gild my faucets and uh, have my jet. Is everybody grateful to be in an era where that does not happen on the airwaves, television? If you're raising your hand, you're not picking up my sarcasm. There's people out there totally doing that right now this morning on TV stations in your house. And it is an abomination, a complete and utter failure by them as leaders. We never lead for how it will benefit us. We lead for the benefit of those who follow. I don't have time. Verse three gives us the the third qualification. It says we shouldn't be domineering. Leaders should never be domineering over those who are in their charge, but they should instead be examples to the flock. I love this because it's so contra what our world thinks. I'm not saying every leader is this way, but too many leaders in our world do it so that they can just have power. They might, they might seem like humble and, and, and you know, they're, they're not you know, uh, taking from, from those who follow them you know, for shameful gain, but in their hearts, they're just like, look at me. How awesome am I? I'm, I'm super leader. Everybody needs me. And you know what that, you know what that is? That's tapping into the, the deepest, darkest parts of our sin nature. You know how sin started, right? A snake slithers into a garden and tells a woman, hey, you can be just like God. Just as powerful, just as smart, just as important as God. And self-obsession was born. Never existed before then. Adam and Eve didn't wake up every morning and be like in the mirror. Wow, good looking guy. They're, they're just kind of tending and, and living in the garden. But then all of a sudden, Satan, who himself is self-obsessed, says, hey, you know what? You should take your eyes off of your father and put them onto yourselves. And so there's this innate, unfortunate sin part of us that says, you know what? It's all about me. This world and everything in it, it all comes back to me. And so we go into these areas where we're supposed to be servants and we make them all about ourselves. About the shine that we can receive, about the power that we can wield. But Peter says, hey, elders, don't ever make this about yourself. In fact, set an example for your flock. An example in what? An example in humility. I'm not going to have time for it today, but in verse 5, it says, to all of the sheep, to everybody in the church, all of you, clothe yourselves in humility because God oppresses the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Everybody, servants, followers, come to this thing in humility, understanding that God winning is the point, that him getting the glory he deserves is my aim. And so whether I'm following, I follow with an eye on Jesus and for his win 
If I lead, I lead in humility with an eye on Jesus and him winning in my life and in the lives of those who follow me. What a great text. What a great reminder. We're to be examples for the flock. You know how Jesus set the example? Jesus comes to the last night of his life. He's celebrating the Passover with his friends. They'd gone to all these preparations to make sure they had the room and and all the food was there, except they forgot to get someone who could wash the feet. And so Jesus walks in. He's the, he's the guest of honor, the, 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 you know, their, 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 their Messiah, their, uh, their rabbi. He, he's, he's supposed to sit at the head of the table. He walks in, and he walks in to 12 guys arguing about who's going to wash the feet. And he doesn't say anything, doesn't rebuke them. He just quietly goes over to the corner, disrobes, put on the servant clothes, grab the jug in the, in the basin, and he just starts walking around. And he grabs a towel. And I picture going to Pete first. I don't know if that's how it works in the Bible. I haven't, you know, I didn't, correct me if I'm wrong. But I picture him going right to Pete first because Pete gets the, he gets all the lines in the story. Have you noticed that? And so this same guy who's writing this letter to these elders He's got to be thinking, set an example. That's what Jesus did for me. Remember what he said to him? Now, you're not washing my feet. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Hey, unless I wash your feet, you got no part of me. Peter was great at the pivot. He's like, oh, in that case, give me the works, man. Detail this sucker. Just, <laughs> just make it all clean. And Jesus says, you're not picking up what I'm putting down, Pete, but you will. You know, Pete was... Pete was in these, these incredible highs, these incredible peaks in the story of Jesus. Pete walked on water. Pete got the answer right when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. And Jesus said, ah, oh, that Pete, you got it. But Pete had some low lows, right? On this same night where he's refusing to be washed by his servant leader, he was told by Jesus that he would deny him three times. And it worked out that way. Do you know the story? He first cuts off a guy's ear in the garden. Nice play, Pete. And then he runs away, but he comes back long enough uh, to be uh, uh, identified by those who are gathered outside of the building where Jesus was being beaten within an inch of his life. And he denies him three times. And then we don't see him again until Jesus shows up in a room after his resurrection. I mean, he goes to the two. Anyway, does anybody remember how it ends? This is how I'm going to end. Here's how it ends with Pete. John 21. He's fishing. He and Jesus have a conversation about where he should be dropping his nets. He puts it on the other side. Lots of fish come in, just like the first time they hung out. And then he comes in, and it's time for Egg McMuffins. They're going to have breakfast together. And they're hanging out there on the shore. They're probably talking about more stuff, but this is what gets recorded in John's Gospels. Remember what it said? Jesus says to Peter, hey, do you love me? And what's Pete say? You know I do. Remember what Jesus says after that? Three different times in slightly different ways, he says this phrase. Shepherd or tend or feed. The words are kind of flipped around a little bit. Slight differences. But basically he says, hey, Pete, lead my sheep. Three times. How many times did he deny him? How many times did he say, I love you? And what was Jesus' response every time? He didn't even stray from the formula. He just says, hey, Pete, you know what I need from you? I need you to be a leader like I am. 
I need you to tend my sheep. And so now, as we close, I'm going to have you stand up. Can you stand with me? Some of you at home, I'm sure you can go grab these in your kitchen right away. These paper towels. Anybody got paper towels at your house? Those of you who are in the room? Anybody got a towel? Like, Thank you, Eleanor. These are ours. Anyway, uh, <laughs> anybody else got a towel like this at your house if you don't have paper towels? Is anybody familiar with the word towel? Someone in the room, talk to me. Is anybody familiar with towels? Here's what you're going to do this week. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. If you've got one of these in your, in your trunk of your car, your back of your truck, just grab it. you got a cup holder in that vehicle. I want your towel to go in that cup holder for the rest of time. <laughs> Take the gum out, sunglasses, beer bottle. Uh. <laughs> Take all that stuff out, and I want you to put a towel in there. And every time you get in your car, you know what I want you to look at? Whether it's a watered up paper towel or a towel like this, I don't want you to use it to wipe down your car or to dry off more at your car wash. I want you to look at that thing and I want you to remember what we talked about today. So I exhort you, the elders among you, to be shepherds, to be overseers, to do it willingly and not of compulsion, to, to, to do it not for shameful game, but eagerly. To not do it for yourself so that you might domineer it, but so that you might be an example of Christ in your leadership. How did Christ lead? He served humbly those who are in his care. Remember the towel. Remember to serve as you lead. Let me pray for us as we're done. Hey God, thanks so much for a chance to uh, read some incredible verses. We didn't get to read this one, but we know that you, the chief shepherd, Jesus, you will appear at the end of time and you will give this unfading crown of glory to those who have led well in your name. I pray that everybody here can be recipients of that, whether we're elders or pastors. Uh, as we've led, Lord, as, as, as you see us lead, would you help us to lead like you lead, to serve others as we lead them, to, to make it all about you and about them and not about ourselves? Grant us that grace, God. And use us for your glory, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us if you're there at home. Thanks for joining us if you're here in the room. God bless you as you go. Some great announcements to follow. Great is our Lord, right? Let's serve him this week and always. Peace.